Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everyone. Hey, welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana, and I hope you are doing absolutely brilliantly today. I hope everything is well. That's not something a South Louisiana person says brilliantly. That's I watch too much YouTube. Anyway, I hope you're doing really great. Uh, I hope things are going well for you, and uh, this is Thanksgiving season. By the time you hear this, uh, Thanksgiving will be over, uh, but I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and uh, we're able to spend in some way with some folks that you love, uh, friends, family, whatnot, and uh, that you were blessed during the Thanksgiving season. Thanksgiving season. Uh, let me just say a quick shout out to everyone who's listening for the first time. Thank you guys so much for dropping by and for taking a few minutes to check out what IBR is all about, Image Bearers Radio. Um, and uh, for those of you that are normal listeners, regular long-term listeners, thank you all so much for your support and uh, for your continued fellowship and friendship. Uh, our community is growing, and I am just so super stoked about it. Uh, it's, it's awesome. So thank you for your support and your emails and your uh, texts and messages and, and all those things, letters and all. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, it's awesome. Um, so uh, we have been in the last couple of weeks, we, we have been in this Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, in this gospel series, we're approaching the gospels, and um, this last couple of weeks, we, a couple of weeks ago, we took a little diversion from that. Uh, last week, we were talking about Hanukkah, beginning to talk about Hanukkah, uh, and we'll continue that conversation this week, talking about Hanukkah. Uh, may wrap up this week, actually may go till next week, I'm not sure yet, we'll have to get to the end of this episode together and find out. <laughs> uh, and so... We will be getting back into the Gospels after uh, after this little mini Hanukkah series things wrap wraps up, uh, and so that's just what's coming up uh, in the next few weeks. Hey, if you're uh, looking for a Shabbat fellowship, uh, someone to gather with, some people to gather with, we live stream our Sabbath services every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central uh, on our website at outofashesministries.org slash live. Uh, we're also on Facebook and YouTube. You can check us out there. If you're in the area, come come by and hang out with us. We would love to connect with you and uh, encourage you and and uh, and love on you a little bit. Uh, and so that's kind of that's kind of who we are and what's coming up. Uh, let's uh, let's go to the Father in a in a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump back into Hanukkah. Father God, we bless you and thank you and love you and are so appreciative and so grateful for who you are who you've called us to be and who you are enabling us to be. Thank you for opening our eyes that we can see the wonderful hidden things of your Torah and we can bless the Almighty. So if you did not catch last week's episode, uh, it will be posted on uh, Hebrew Nation Online. I encourage you to go back and check it out. Uh, but we basically kind of start an intro to Hanukkah. 
and uh, we are coming up on Hanukkah in just a couple of weeks. And uh, so if you've never celebrated Hanukkah, celebrate. at least get to know a little bit about it um, before you just at least, you know, write it off. And and if you already celebrate Hanukkah and you love it, then I hope maybe I can give you a, a few things to think about this Hanukkah uh, as you celebrate again, either, either with your family or, you know, your children especially and things like that, um, as we kind of try to humanize the story of Hanukkah even even more. And so we kind of went through the history and laid the foundation last week. Now we are in First uh, Maccabees chapter 2, and we have just met Mattathias, who is uh, a priest, uh, and his family is from Jerusalem, but he lives in Modain. Modain is uh, a community north uh, of Jerusalem. Our good friend and the best tour guide in Israel, Hanok Young, lives in Modain, the home of the Maccabees. And um, Mattathias, uh, the, the king in Antiochus, uh, Epiphanes, he sends his messengers to Modain. And, okay, everybody, it's time to sacrifice your pigs on the idol altars uh, of Greece. And Mattathias gives this impassioned speech about how we will, we will never turn away from the traditions of our fathers and the covenant of our God. And um, verse 23 of the second chapter of First uh, Maccabees says, uh, verse 22 rather, he says, We will not hearken to the king's words to go from our religion either on the right hand or the left. Verse 23 says, Now when he had left speaking these words, there came one of the Jews in the sight of all to sacrifice on the altar, which was at Modain, according to the king's commandment, king small k, right? Which thing, when Mattathias saw, he was inflamed with zeal, and his reins trembled. Neither he could forbear to show his anger according to judgment. Wherefore, he ran and slew him upon the altar. Also, the king's commissioner, who compelled men to sacrifice, he killed at that time, and the altar he pulled down. Thus, he dealt zealously for the law of God, like as... Pinchas, Phineas, did unto Zambri, the son of Salome. And Mattathias cried throughout the city with a loud voice, saying, Whosoever is zealous of the law and maintaineth the covenant, let him follow me. So I want to talk a little bit about priests um, in the beginning of this episode, because we, we hear the word priest, and many of us, whether you grew up Catholic or not, um, you know, most of us maybe have grown up Protestant, most of our listening audience probably, Excuse me, but when we think of the word priest, or let me just personalize it. When I hear the word priest, um, I generally think about, you know, someone who's who's very timid, maybe, um, you know, not, you don't think warrior, or I don't think warrior when I think priest, based on my very limited, albeit, you know, limited and distant knowledge of of the priest that we know of in our world, which generally um, you know, generally are associated with it, with Catholicism in the Catholic Church, um, but in in Israel, in the in, in the the cult practices of Israel and in Israeli worship, um, the priests were not only servants of God uh, and and you know teachers of Israel, but they were also uh, very very trained, very skillful. Um, when it came to battle, many of them were. I mean, you had the temple guard, right? The elite, the elite fighting force. Um, these these priests are not just 
these temple guard priests are not just, you know, some young priest in training and somebody hands them a sword or a knife and says, you know, the pointy bit goes away from you if you ever need it. You know, that's, that's not, these guys are, are the best of the best. They are trained and they are skilled uh, because the temple is primarily a place of worship and the, and uh, the house of Kedusha, as we've said before, unto Hashem. But the, 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 the temple, Habayit, is at last resort is the last fortress or bastion of, of the country. Uh, it is the place where, where, where everyone runs to and retreats to as the last place of safety. It becomes a military fortress. And so these priests have to be trained to protect it um, because these invasions happen all the time, right? When America, we're so spoiled, like we don't understand what this means. We don't live in the Middle East or in other places where they're constantly, you know, the, the control of the, of the country is com- constantly switching hands between groups. We just have not experienced that, Baruch Hashem. But in this culture, in this time, it was, an, it was a normal thing. They say, scholars say, historians say about once every 100 years maybe, um, your country would be, you know, overrun basically. So um, Mattathias is not some lowly little humble, like pale, fragile, you know, timid priest. He is, he's ready to fight. And, and it's not just for he who is zealous for the law. As far as that, the law represents the covenant, and it says that here in the verse. Um, he says, uh, whosoever is zealous of the law and maintains the covenant, right? So for all this talk about, well, the Jews just, you know, the law, and they, you know, were saved by the law, and they thought, none of that is true. No, that's all hogwash. It's all, it's all hockey fatty, and none of it is true. They, they did not believe they are saved. They do not believe. The Jewish people do not believe they are saved by the law. The law, the Torah, the instructions represent the covenant that was given to Abraham and then to Moshe at, at Sinai, right? It is a represent, the law is the, the stipulations of the covenant, right? And so the, this, he is, a, he is a man who has seen all he, you know, like Papa used to say, I've stood all I can stand and I can't stand no more, however he said that anyway. But listen to what it says. A fellow Jew comes to sacrifice the altar and he kills the, he kills his brother over this infidelity to the covenant, which is an infidelity to Hashem himself. I mean, just absolutely powerful. Um, let's, let's keep reading. Uh, we're going to be introduced in chapter three to Judah Hamakabi, Judah the Maccabee. Now their last name is not Maccabee. Their last name is Hasmone, the Hasmoneans. Maccabi uh, it means the hammer, uh, and you, you can, that's one definition of it or one way to describe it. It means the hammer, but it's also, uh, an uh, acrostic or whatever. I'm not sure what the, the name is, but there's a saying in Hebrew, Mikamoka Ba'alim Hashem, who is like you, O God, Mikamoka Ba'alim Hashem, who is like you, God, and that Mikamoka Ba'alim Hashem, you can hear Makabi in that. And so it's, a abbreviation acrostics you guys out there that are smarter than me will you'll be like duh it's this okay you got it and so who is like you oh god it's this this fierce vitriol call to fidelity to the covenant so in chapter 3 verse 1 it says then his son judas called maccabeus uh rose up in his stead and all his brethren helped him and so did uh, so did they that held with his father and they fought with cheerfulness the battle of israel so he got his people together, great honor, and put on the breastplate, breastplate as a giant, and girt his warlike harness about him. And he made battles, protecting the host with his sword. I love the way it talks about 
uh, Judah HaMaccabi in this this verse, very very King David like, very uh, very warrior like, but he's a priest, right? Um, in verse four, his axe was like a lion and like a lion's whelp roaring for his prey, for he pursued the wicked and sought them out and burned up those that vexed his people. Wherefore the wicked shrunk for fear of him, and all the workers of iniquity were troubled because of salvation prospered in his hand. He grieved also many kings and made Jacob glad with his axe, and his memorial is blessed forever. Moreover, he went through the cities of Judah, destroying the ungodly out of them and turning away wrath from Israel, so that he was renowned unto the utmost part of the earth, and he received unto him such as were ready to perish. So this this uh, this re this this reinvigoration this this many earlier we read that many were stu- you know stood fast against the the king uh, Antiochus and his 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 uh, decrees and and Mattathias was the was the one that stood up and say this is where it stops this is where it ends and his sons took over that mantle over him and they were rural priests right they were they were rural rural priests that that many gathered to them because of their stand and because of their devotion it gave a backbone it gave legitimacy to those people who in the in the face of a turning culture said wait no there's more of us than than just me and and it gave them the courage to say you know what we're going to we're going to stand we're going to fight we are going to stay uh we're going to stay in fidelity to the covenant and to our god like our forefathers before us. And so what you have is we talked about the temple being defiled last episode. We talked about the temple being defiled and then Antiochus comes after the people because the temple is important. It is of utmost importance. And yet there's an understanding, even in ancient Judaism that the people are the people there's the, the theology of Emmanuel, right? That God is with us, that we, are, we really are the, the people that house God. We, God is with us as a people. So the idea of us being a temple is not a New Testament concept. It's just a being, we're being reminded of that in the New Testament. And so here, what we have is the reversal of this. We have the people rising up and cleansing, them, cleansing themselves and coming together and rededicating themselves so what, you, what do we think is going to happen next? So if we continue reading uh, in chapter 4 of 1 Maccabees, and I'm skipping a lot of verses. I encourage you to read First and Second Maccabees. They're kind of two different ways of viewing the same account, but they're interesting to read together. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 41. It says, And Judas appointed certain men to fight against those that were in the fortress, that we talked about earlier, last episode, until he had cleansed the sanctuary. So he, choose, he chose priests to fight, Right? of blameless conversation, such as had pleasure in Hashem. See, I love the way that Maccabees talks about the law, but also the, the law and the covenant are here, the law and blameless conversation. See, because it's not just about keeping the mitzvot. It's not just about guarding the mitzvot. It's not just about understanding them or having an attitude that you understand that we should do these things. It's about actually doing them. It's about the mitzvot changing your heart. And that, that interface between the commandments and your heart is what the purpose always was about. It always was about that. Uh, verse 43, who cleansed the sanctuary and bear out the defiled stones in an unclean place. And as they consulted what to do with the altar of burnt offerings, which was profane, they brought it, uh, they thought it best to pull it down so that it would not be a reproach to them because the heathen had defiled it. So they pulled it down and laid up the stones in the mountain of the temple in a convenient place until there should come a prophet to show them what should be done. Then they took whole stones according to the law and built a new altar according to the former. 
and made up the sanctuary and the things that were within the temple and hallowed the courts. They also made new holy vessels, and into the temple they brought the candlestick and the altar burnt offerings and of incense and the table. Upon And upon the altar they burned the incense and the lamps that were upon the candlestick they lighted that they might give light in the temple. Furthermore, they set loaves upon the table, they spread out the veils, and they finished all the works where they had begun to make. Now on the five and twentieth day of the ninth month, which is called the month of Kislev, we read about it earlier, in the 148th year, they rose up betimes in the morning and offered sacrifice according to the Torah upon the new altar of burnt offerings which they had made. Look at what time of day the heathen had profaned it. Even in that was it dedicated. Even in that was it dedicated with songs and citherns and harps and cymbals. Then all the people fell on their faces, worshiping and praising the God of heaven who had given them good success. And so they kept the dedication of the altar eight days and offered burnt offerings with gladness and sacrificed the sacrifice of deliverance and praise. So what happens? Antiochus comes in and he defiles the temple. Then he defiles the people. He causes the, the people to defile themselves. Mattathias and Judah Hamakabi rise up after him and they cleanse, they, in, a, in a sense they rededicate themselves and, and they cause a rededication among the people as a whole that, that were left. And then they recleanse the temple. They dedicate the temple. Remember I said last episode, the temple is just a building until it's dedicated. Until there is a communion, until the presence of God fills it, and there's a communion between the people and Hashem, until there are people actively working in the temple and, 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 and serving in the temple and, and worshiping and, and uh, ministering to the presence of God, it, it ceases to be a building at that point and it becomes sacred space. Right, becomes something much more important and much more powerful, much more meaningful to the people. The place where God dwells, the place where God lives. Make me a sanctuary, he said in Exodus, that I may shikanti, vishikanti, that I may dwell among you, right? And so it's an interesting kind of chiasm in a way um, to see that the temple's defiled, the people are defiled, and then the people are rededicated, and then the temple is rededicated. Everything is, is cleansed, the altar is reconstructed, everything is, uh, is done. But, but what I want you to get, and I, I, I don't know why I feel the need to really press this, but they didn't redo the temple and go like, okay, we're good. There's a dedication that happens in them first. There's a dedication that happens in the people. There's a cleansing. There's a, there's a, there's a, a new uh, commitment to the covenant and to Hashem in the people first before they go and, and cleanse and rededicate the temple. That's really, really important. The same thing happens in the, in the wilderness. The people consecrate themselves and then they dedicate the temple. The temple is never was never. And the Torah for that sake was never a stand in for each person's and each community, each family, the nation as a whole for their own dedication, excuse me, their own dedication and their own, um, piety and holiness to Hashem himself. That always predates or, or uh, precludes worship in a building or in a tent. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah would rail against the people of Israel and say, who told you to bring these sacrifices? Rivers of blood can't cleanse you. Why is that? It's not because God was being bipolar or schizophrenic and speaking against the things he actually commanded and said that he loved. It's not that. It's that the building, the temple, the commandments, the sacrifices, all those things never had any standing without the heart of the people being turned to Hashem. That's always the way it was. And that's always the way it's going to be. Always. 
we get into the debate about the third temple and if it's going to be built and when it's going to be built and all those kinds of things, what I can tell you is that the building will not be built in order to turn people back towards Hashem. The building will only be built once the people have already been turned towards Hashem. And then the temple stands as a sign and as an institution of that loyalty and that fidelity to the God of creation. I hope that makes sense. So they, it says that they, they – this is so cool because it, it's the very day that it had been defiled. It was rededicated again. And it says that they, they burnt offerings and they dedicated it. And it says in verse 56, they kept the dedication of the altar eight days. Why eight days? Because that's how long it takes to dedicate an altar. <laughs> Look at Solomon's rededication of the second temple. That's what, look at the dedication of the Beit HaMikdash, of the uh, Mishkan in the wilderness. That's how long it takes to dedicate an altar. It takes eight days. <laughs> and and it, it happens if you read the Solomonic account where Solomon, and even the, 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 the uh, dedication of the tabernacle. It reads exactly the same way. That they, they dedicated and they fell on their faces and worshipped. Not because they were scared when God's presence filled the, t- the tabernacle of the temple, because they were they were so grateful they were joyful worshiping and praising god that had given them good success and so the altar took eight days so in the last few minutes i just want to address why we celebrate hanukkah for eight days well this is why well what about the oil well the tradition of the oil uh the miracle of the oil is found in uh talmud bavli the babylonian talmud order moed uh, tractate Shabbat 21b is where you can read about that. You can go on Safaria or Chabad.org and you can find that to read the actual account of the oil. But uh, in summary, the, the, they set up the, the menorah and uh, there was enough oil in one little jug for one day. And they had to make new oil. And you can't just do that like in 15 minutes. You don't pop in the microwave and whammo bammo, you have menorah oil. Uh, it's very specific, very sacred. Uh, the process and, and result. And so uh, it took them, according to the to Talmud Bavli, it took them eight days to make this oil. And the oil that was in that little jug that was only good enough for one day lasted all eight nights, uh, all eight days of the, de- of the dedication. That's the, the Talmud's version of, of the, the myth of the oil. Um, is it true or not? I don't know. I don't think it really matters um, in the sense of of historically being accurate. It'll matter as to why we celebrate or how we celebrate, but we're going to talk about that um, in the next, the next segment. And so before we get into the next segment, let's just do a little bit of foundational work on, on temple. We've talked about it already. The, the temple is called in Hebrew, Beit HaMikdash, the house of Kedusha. Um, Kedusha from the word Kadosh, being set apart, being holy, those English words that we use to try to describe it. Uh, also, <clears throat> Excuse me. Also, trans uh, also is called Habayit, the just the house um, on Har Habayit, Har being the mountain, uh, the Temple Mount, House of Kedusha, House of Sanctification. Um, what is God's stated purpose for the Mishkan, the Tabernacle, or Beit Hamikdash? That He would dwell. Exodus twenty five eight says, "Have them make a Mishkan for me, Veshikanti, that I may dwell among them." God's purpose for the temple or for the Mishkan is to have a dwelling among the people. So we didn't talk about what Hanukkah means, the word Hanukkah. Hanukkah means dedication. Hanukkah means uh, Hanak, to, to 
to disciple, uh, to discipline rather, uh, to dedicate. By discipline, to train up, to initiate, uh, to narrow to the point of fidelity. Um, again, I'll reference our good friend uh, and, and Israel's best tour guide, Hanok Young. Um, Hanok is Enoch in English, but that is dedicated, the dedicated. Um, this is what Hanukkah means. Now, Hanukkah is called by a bunch of different names. We'll talk about that in the last portion of next segment. But next, uh, the beginning of next segment, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, about the idea of temple and what we can take for uh, for Hanukkah to mean for us today. What can we learn from the story? What should we be maybe focusing on this year? Or some points maybe uh, that I'll give you kind of to focus on this year as we come through this season of Hanukkah and uh, and look to learn more about bearing God's image. So we'll be right back on the other side of the break, continuing our conversation on Hanukkah. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio, talking about Hanukkah. So we uh, kind of gave a little definition of Hanukkah, means uh, initiation, consecration, dedicating. Hanak comes from the word Hanak, meaning to discipline, to dedicate, uh, to train ourselves narrowly. Um, and uh, we, we see this word in uh, just a, a, a scripture reference for if you want to go look it up. First Kings eight sixty three. we've referenced this already. It says, And Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to Adonai, 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. So the king and all of Israel dedicated the house of Adonai. That's that word, Hanak. They dedicated it. Um, same thing we see in First Maccabees. Um, so Hanukkah is known by some different names. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I want to get to some uh, some New Testament scriptures. First Corinthians three sixteen and seventeen, one we've already kind of referenced uh, several times. Verse sixteen: Don't you know that you are God's temple, and that Ruach Elohim dwells among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So, so many things I want to talk about in, in relation to this verse, but I want drone on and on, or I'll try not to at least. Um, this again, this idea, first of all, he says, don't you know that you, so let's talk about you. Um, you may be under the, uh, you know, understanding that, well, like I, me personally, I am the temple. My body is the temple of, uh, you know, is my body is the temple. Um, I personally am. But this idea of you is a plural you. You as in your community, you you as in the body of Messiah as a whole. Just like I can't be the image of God on my own, I can't in solidarity be the image of God. I can't be the temple. I need you to be your part of the image of God. I need I need we need each other to be the whole and complete and full image of Hashem. I need you and everyone else, we need each other in order to be the corporate temple of Hashem. Because the temple, and among other things that we, we have to learn about the temple, is that the temple is for the community. 
It is a communal institution. Um, you know, I love reading stories of, of mikvaot, uh, you know, and today it's done usually very privately in Jewish communities uh, and things, and that certainly is appropriate. Um, but mikvaot were, in, in some ways, were very public. Uh, even some some stories that I, I know that I've, I've read and heard other people talk about that, uh, you know, in communities of men, um, when they would mikvah at the at the the, the temple or, or you know mikvah together, they mikvah completely naked, in a community in a minion, and the idea is that if we're going to be in if we're going to be brothers, if we're going to be community, and we're going to we're going to serve Hashem together, and we're gonna we're gonna uphold the covenant together then there should not be anything in between us. And so as a sign of humility and complete accountability, I, I am gonna, I'm going to bear my everything to you. So I, I have nothing to hide. Um, and I just think that's absolutely beautiful. That's hyper, hyper uncomfortable for us as Western American Christians. But nonetheless, um, the, the temple and the practices associated with it are communal. So this idea of me being the temple and well, I'm the temple because I'm doing this right, or I'm the temple because I understand this right way. It doesn't work that way. We we together are the temple, whether or not we understand things the right way or not. We are the communal, the communal dwelling place of God, right? And the Ruach Elohim dwells among you. And if anyone destroys God's temple, he will destroy him. For God is God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. See. If we don't, we can't just say, well, the old temple was just a building. Now we're this new special thing. No, it doesn't work that way. We are defined by what the temple was intended to be by Hashem, not by what the people turned it into, but by how he defined it, what he desired, and what and, and the, the conditions and the kedusha and all the things that he put upon it. That's how we are. That's how we know what it means to be a temple. So again, I'll say, you know, use food as a low hanging fruit. How can we say uh, we're the temple and, and put all kind of stuff in our bodies corporately and individually that would never be allowed within the shadow of the temple where it's standing? You understand what I'm saying? We, we go, well, we're the temple, we're the temple, blah, blah, blah. And yet we're full of, you know, gossip and hatred and judging and all this stuff, stuff that would never, you would have been struck dead if you set foot in the temple that way. Does that make sense? We, we can't understand what it means to be the dwelling place of God if we don't understand what it meant to be as God intended it before. Uh, to that end, 1 Peter 2, verses 1 and 11. Verse 1, he says, So get rid of all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and lashan hurrah, evil speech. As newborn babes long for spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow toward salvation. Now that you have tasted that Hashem is good, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Messiah Yeshua. For it says in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen precious cornerstone. Whoever trusts in him will never be put to shame. Verse 7, Now the value is for you who keep trusting. What, is, what does it mean to keep trusting? It takes, it takes a very important word that we've already mentioned. Dedication. It takes dedication. It doesn't take some, some spiritual mountaintop experience. 
It doesn't take some miraculous encounter to keep trusting. It takes dedication. Listen, I was a part of several churches for several years that it was all about the, the encounter. It was all about the moment. It was all about the residue. It was all about all those things. And that is wonderful. And I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything. However, those things don't carry you. They don't, they don't carry you the rest of your life. At some point, we have to be people who are Hanak. We have to be people who are dedicated to keep trusting. He says, but for those who do not trust the stone which the builders rejected, this one has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they are disobeying the word. To this, they were also appointed. They're disobeying the the word, the Torah. But you, verse 9, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, you are a people, not you individually. You as a people are a chosen priesthood, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. You as a people out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, what's interesting about the, the darkness and light thing is that we have this illusion too, all again, again, all the way from the Garden of Eden, that the light is sacred space where the menorah, where the menorah is, and where the, the Kodesh HaKodeshim is, the Holy of Holies, where the, the fire of God's presence burns, the light, where is darkness? Darkness is outside of sacred space. It's outside, if you want to put it geographically, outside the temple complex. And that doesn't mean literally outside the temple, but that's the illusion. That if you're connected to the temple, to God's people, through Yeshua, if you're connected to Yeshua, he is the embodiment of all the things we've been talking about. And, there, and, and there's been some wacky debate lately about well, who's greater, the temple or Yeshua. That's a, stupid, that's, a, that's a stupid comparison. I don't care who you are and which side you are making it. It's dumb. We waste our time over the stupidest things and the stupidest fights. And, and, and it's, and well, well, the temple's greater. Well, no, obviously Yeshua's greater. You're right. And we fight and just stop it. Can we just stop? You can't, you can't have one without the other. They work together. We don't understand Yeshua in all of his brilliance and all of his redemptive power and all of his salvific power and all of his restorative power. And we don't understand the work that he did dying, being buried and raised again on the third day. We don't understand all the implications of those things, his teachings, his, all of the, his miracles. We don't understand those things if not for Beit HaMidash. Conversely, we don't understand the point of the temple without the teachings of Yeshua. They speak to one another. Yeshua is greater than the temple because that's the, he is the model of what people were always supposed to be. He is the model of what the temple was supposed to produce in the people of Israel all along. Let's just stop it. Let's just stop fighting over, over, over the, and let's be mature and let's grow up and let's see it for what it is. Verse 10, he says, once you were not a people, lo ami, that's a quote out of Zechariah, I believe, but now you are God's people, lo achama. You were shown no mercy, but now you have been shown mercy. Loved ones, I urge you as strangers and sojourners to keep away from the fleshly cravings that war against the soul. This idea of being the sacred space, this idea of being the, the, the sacred, Galatians 5, let's just go to Galatians 5. 
He says, but I say, walk by the Ruach, that indwelling presence, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets itself, its desires against the Ruach, and the Ruach sets its desires against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do what you want. But you are led by the Ruach, and you are not under law, which means you're not breaking the law. If I do the speed limit, I'm not under the law. I'm in accordance with the law. I mean, I'm obeying the law. If I break the speed limit and I get caught and get a fine, I'm under the law. You're being led by the Ruach. You are not under law. In other words, you're, you're, doing, you're doing the right thing. You're, just go. Go with it. Now, the deeds of the flesh are clear, and we, we have read this before very time, and the fruit of the Spirit, right? We know that, we know that passage. The, the idea of being sacred space is one that um, is heavier maybe than anything we've ever thought about in, in, our, in our, you know, religious experience, whatever that looks like for you. If we understand what, what the temple is and talking about Hanukkah and why it was so important, if we understand what the temple is, what the, the Beit HaMikdash is, and frankly, read the Sermon on the Mount. Read Yeshua's teachings. Spend, spend time going through the God. Live in the Gospels, and you will see that Yeshua is the living embodiment of everything the temple was supposed to teach us about not only who God is, but about who are we supposed to be in response to and in relationship to Hashem. And then what we, were, we are supposed to be as the emissaries and ambassadors and image bearers of Hashem out to the rest of the world. This living stone, this chief cornerstone that will be salvation for those who, who, who believe in him and will be the stumbling block for those who don't. The, the stone that the builders rejected. If we understood what it meant to be the temple as a whole, the temple is this idea of sacred space. It's this idea of heaven and earth meeting. It's the place where God dwells. If the world around you doesn't know God, doesn't know Messiah, it's because he's not dwelling in us. I'm not saying he's not dwelling in you. I'm saying he's not dwelling in us. Listen, I live in a community that has 11,000 people and 150-something churches. How is the Spirit of God dwelling fluently and moving fluently in, a, in, a, in the body, I would call us all the body, that's so disjointed? And so against each other for so many dumb reasons. We are not the body. We are not being the temple. We are not operating together. If we would, and we would be, and we join with our brothers and sisters of different understandings, different beliefs, and we would come to this point of understanding allegiance to the king, fidelity to the Messiah, and to the covenant, then we would be the temple. After the hurricanes came through, it was amazing. It was so, so beautiful that every church, people from different churches went to work for other churches and, and serving the community and cooking food and handing stuff out. And I mean, it was just amazing. It was amazing because we were in crisis mode and we just needed help. And it didn't matter if you talk in tongues on Sunday or if you you sing from a hymnal seated quietly or you, you read from liturgy or you, it didn't matter. We needed help and we would take help from whoever was giving it and we would give help to whoever needed it. 
if we lived in a crisis mentality, a crisis mode all the time, we maybe actually would have a shot of being the church because when that happens, all the stuff falls away. All the unimportant stuff falls away and we worry about representing our king well and helping our fellow neighbor. And that, those are the two greatest commandments. That's the greatest commandment, right? So I hope during this Hanukkah season, you know, we, we think about a little bit about what it means to, but listen, we, we can't be the temple unless we're dedicated ourselves, right? We saw that in the story of the Maccabees. They dedicated themselves before they ever went and tried to dedicate the temple because you can't put the cart before the horse. Yeshua's right. Whatever goes into a man doesn't defile him. It's what comes out. You can't do one instead of the other. They both have to work together. You also can't put, you can't put clean stuff in your mouth and speak uncleanly and think you're okay. But you also can't put unclean stuff in your mouth and speak cleanly and think you're okay. You, they have to go together. They have to work together. There has to be a congruency there. We are called to be this living house, this living house. I want to read from Psalm 119, and then we'll talk about some of the mechanics of Hanukkah, just to give you some ideas and some final thoughts before we, uh, before we go. Uh, this is Psalm 119, just the first uh, 16 or so verses, first couple sections. Blessed, is, blessed are those whose way is blameless, blameless, who walk in the Torah of Adonai. Happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart, and who also do no injustice, but walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways were steadfast to observe your decrees. Then I would not be ashamed when I consider all your mitzvot. What happened when Adam and Chava sinned? They were ashamed, right? Breaking commandments. I praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous judgments. I will observe your statutes. Never abandon me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. This purity doesn't mean lustful purity alone. That's the way I've always was taught it, and that's just so narrow. Purity as far as holiness is kedusha. With my whole heart, verse 10, I have sought you. Let me not stray from your mitzvot. I have treasured your word in my heart so I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, Adonai. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I rehearse all the rulings of your mouth. I rejoice in the way of your testimonies above wealth. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I will delight in your decrees. I will never forget your word. Finally, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Yeshua says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand so it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. They may see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill, to be the fulfillment, to be the living example. So while we're thinking about these things, there's also some really fun and cool ways we can celebrate Hanukkah. And I would encourage you, again, if you've never celebrated Hanukkah before, I would encourage you like I would of any of the feast days or any of the Moedim, I would encourage you to start very simply. Listen, if, if, if the overwhelming nature of how do I do this right keeps you from doing it, then we have to make an adjustment. So don't be overwhelmed. Don't be, don't be scared out of engaging and, and, and practicing. That's, that's what this is. We're learning the Father's heart through these things. And so um, traditionally there is 
each night there is uh, there are eight candles that are lit on a Hanukkiah or a Hanukkah menorah. Now, um, first of all, Hanukkah is not the Jewish Christmas. Just want to get that out. I know I don't need to say that, but I say it all the time just to remind everybody that Hanukkah is not the Jewish Christmas. Um, just because it uh, you know it, it happens at, at the, uh, about the same time, um, some sometimes. But we light a Hanukkah. Now, it's it's really um, it's really an interesting thing that there's so much again there's so much consternation over the Hanukkah. Well, the Jews reinvented the menorah. No, 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 no. Stop. Stop. Listen. Let them explain why there's such thing as a Hanukkah. First of all, a menorah. The word menorah just means lampstand. It, it's menorah is not only the great menorah that was in the temple. A menorah is just a lampstand. So you can call a menorah, this menorah, that menorah, two branches, five branches, 13 branches, doesn't matter. The one in the temple had seven branches. Now we're commanded that anything made for the temple is not to be recreated to use for personal use. Oil, the instruments, the furniture, all of that is created for use in the temple, period. Anyone found recreating those things and using them for personal use in the camp of Israel, in the wilderness, they were to be put to death. You have defiled, you have, you've crossed the line, and you've infringed on, on the Father's holiness. And so the Jewish people, they, have, they develop a tradition with this candelabra, this menorah, and sometimes it looks like kind of like what we think of menorah. Look, sometimes it's a tree branch with eight holes drilled in it, and boom, Hanukkah. Eight candles for the eight days of the celebration, right? So the, the other thing is that they, because of that commandment not to use the temple furniture for personal use, the Jewish people generally will not light a menorah. They may have a menorah in their home or whatever, but they will never light it because that is only to be done in the temple because they understand not infringing on the king. I hope that makes sense. So this Hanukkah, this Hanukkah menorah, eight branches with a ninth being the, the taller one, that is called the shamash. That is the servant candle. The shamash lights the other candles. And on the, you start from right and you go to left. And the first night, the first one is lit. The second night, the first and second. The third night, the first, second, and third, and on and on and on until the whole candelabra is lit. Just as a, a teaching moment, the servant candle, this is what the Jewish people call the shamash, the servant candle. It cannot light any other candle unless it's, unless it's lit first. So you can talk about being a servant all you want, but you can't light somebody else's fire unless you're already on fire, just as a reminder. <laughs> and so we light each night. Now, generally, it's done with candles, but also you can buy Hanukkahs or Minarot with uh, oil lamps. And this is... I like the idea of the oil lamp um, more than the candle because the oil being the spirit, the indwelling presence, the in, you know that that thing that flames us and and that 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 entity that fuels us right and animates us. Lighting the oil candles is is really really cool. So there's there's that option if you if you have it. If you have kids, there listen. Hanukkah is a cheap. Buy them each one. Let them all participate in the lighting. There's blessings that go along with it. It's beautiful and light it each night. Read part of the Hanukkah story. It's it's amazing. Um, another great uh, tradition that goes along with Hanukkah is of course fried foods, particularly latkes or little potato cakes and sofganiyot, which are like jelly filled donuts. 
And this is to uh, pay tribute to the, the idea that the oil lasted for eight days. Look, we live in South Louisiana. We fry everything anyway. I mean, candy bars, ice cream, it doesn't. You say you can't fry ice cream. Watch us. <laughs> so we fry everything anyway. So it's awesome. Um, so it's a time of joy and, and, uh, and you know, making these things and, and with your kids or, you know, with your family, make them for yourself and just remembering, again, it's not about the myth that the oil lasted eight days. Don't get hung up on that. The true oil, the, in the presence of God that filled the temple and the tabernacle and that fills our lives as a, as a whole and individually. Every time we eat that fried food, we ought to be connecting to the spirit of God that is in us, the, the oil of the spirit, right? Um, and so, so fried foods are a, a big traditional thing during Hanukkah and something wonderful to do. Uh, last thing I'll mention is the, um, uh, is the dreidel game, right? Uh, which it's a, it's a silly little game, but it's a blast. Uh, and every dreidel has four sides, and uh, there is a uh, noon, uh, a gimel, uh, a hay, and a sheen, one on each side. Neskado hayosham in Hebrew means a great miracle happened or a great thing happened there. In Israel, it says a great thing happened here, but uh, and and it's played with gelt, which is a uh, chocolate coins, and it's just a fun game. But again, it's not about the game. It's about remembering that a great miracle, a great thing happened there when the people dedicated themselves and stood up. Listen, revival is not something that God sends to us. Revival is something that we dedicate in ourselves and we commit at a level we've never had. We sell out and we become on fire on a level we never have to Hashem. What do you do about what do you do about Christmas and all that kind of stuff with your family? Listen, be led by the Spirit, use wisdom, and be a light to your family. Not a not a a, a source of contention. Um, do we do gifts and stuff for our kids on Hanukkah? Personally, we do because we don't buy stuff during the year. We use that time as a time to enrich the celebration. It's up to you. Enjoy Hanukkah this year. Enjoy being reinvigorated and rededicated as the image and the dwelling place of the Spirit of Messiah. Bless you all. See you next week.